Welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. Join your host, Rhonda Arl and Laura Forehand. We want to help you as teachers reach your full potential by keeping you up to date with all the latest and best Whole Brain Teaching strategies. Whole Brain Teaching is a grassroots educational reform movement founded by Coach Chris Biffle, Jay Vanderfin, and Chris Rexstad. Whole Brain Teaching's goal is to create peaceful classrooms through orderly fun. To support the podcast, please like and share with other teachers. Thank you for listening and enjoy the podcast. And now, here are Laura and Rhonda. Hi there. Welcome to Whole Brain Teaching, the podcast. I'm Laura Forehand. I am a Whole Brain Teaching staff member, platinum certified. I teach second grade in Missouri, and we are here on Easter Sunday making this podcast. I couldn't think of anyone I would rather spend a little Easter time with than my great friend Rhonda. I'll let you introduce yourself. Hello, and welcome everybody to our podcast. I'm Rhonda Arlt, and I'm a second grade teacher in Kansas. I'm a staff member as well and a Platinum Certified Instructor. And Laura, it's always a pleasure to do a podcast. It doesn't matter if it's a holiday or not. It's always fun. (laughs) I know. This is always fun. I absolutely love doing this podcast with you. And as we've talked about on a couple of podcasts, um, recording these with our amazing Whole Brain Teaching Executive Board members really does allow us, we've both said it, really allows us to recharge and kind of refocus because we either hear something new or maybe not so new, but perhaps, you know, that strategy that we've forgotten about was in our back pockets the whole time. So it's always a pleasure to have those discussions with our executive board members. And, but this is episode 22 and it's just me and you. And so I'm going to ask you, I'm going to start out right out of the gate asking for a tall, tall order what is one thing that you have heard or that we have talked about um, that has recharged you in your whole brain teaching classroom during this really challenging year? Wow, that is a doozy of a question and kind of hard for me to answer because there's been like so many little tidbits here and there. Um, You know, you and I, we love the basics and I would just say any little part of the basics that I don't remember that like the executive more executive board members mentioned. And I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Those aha moments have been really refreshing and good for me to reflect and take back to my classroom. Um, probably the one that comes to mind is um, the woozy receiver that Andre talked about. I either had forgotten or didn't remember that one, or I don't know. So I thought it might be fun to incorporate that into my classroom. I haven't yet, but, and he also mentioned the woo challenge. And I thought that was kind of cute too, to just kind of get them tied into some of the creativity with that as well. So I'm going to throw that question right back at you. (laughs) How about you? Well, it's only fair that you ask me the same. (laughs) 
Um, yes, I for sure love those things that Andre talked about. Um, one thing that I've started implementing that has really been fun in my classroom is the trading cards that Stephanie had talked about on, on that podcast. And I think I had done trading cards in the past, but it, I didn't have them well organized. And the way she talked about getting them organized in a folder with some baseball card sleeves um, really made a lot of sense to me and only having kids take out two at a time. Whereas I, you know, when I first implemented it, I was having kids get out all their cards and they'd end up on the floor and they, I mean, it was just, it was a mess. And so I think for me, um, just having that, that way of organizing them has brought that back into my classroom and has been a lot of fun and rewarding for the kids. Sure. Yeah. Love those trading cards. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a a fun, fun little game to play. So today we want to talk about the whole brain teaching classroom rules and um, how they, how we implement them into our classroom. Now these rules aren't your typical classroom rules. Our classroom rules are not just wall posters for decoration. We weave our rules throughout daily instruction, increasing students' engagement, decreasing problem behaviors, and boosting that fun mm-hmm. We have five rules in the diamond rule. So our goals in the time that we have today is to talk about all the rules individually and while the rule, excuse me, why the rule is important and helpful in our classrooms. So let's jump right into this and get started. What is rule number one? Okay. So rule number one is follow directions quickly. And If you go to the website, you'll see all the gestures for this, but we'll explain these gestures as well as we talk about each rule. So when we say rule number one, follow directions quickly, you're just going to take your hand, and I use my right hand, right on in front of you, and you're moving it from side to side as fast as you can. Um, The secret to rule number one is to create lightning fast classroom transitions, which is huge. So this is important because slow transitions from reading to writing to math to lining up at every grade level, not only waste time, but are also breeding grounds for disruptive activity for those beloved rascals to make themselves known. So prior to utilizing whole brain teaching and the classroom rules, I don't even want to think about all of the instruction time that was wasted in my classroom. Not only that, But if I'm being honest here, I literally handed control over to my students by not holding them accountable to following my directions on my timetable. Mm -hmm. I was letting them, you know, follow directions on their timetable. So mind you, my students at this time were six and seven year olds. And at one time there were 26 of them. Wow. Yeah. They had no business being in control (laughs) of my classroom. So rule number one, follow directions quickly has been, has been a lifesaver. What about you, Rhonda? How has following directions quickly helped in your classroom? Uh, I think transitions are always a struggle for any teacher. Mm-hmm. And this is a game changer because it helps with those times that they're, you know, you're not wasting any more of that valuable time, whether it's getting something out of their desk or lining up to go to their specials. Mm-hmm. Um, And with practice and some of the games that we will talk about on future podcasts, this eliminates this wasted time. And I think even before whole brain teaching, I I knew transitions needed to be quick, but I wasn't sure how to make them quicker. And um, invariably, you know, like you said, I lost minutes of a valuable time that 
now with whole brain teaching, I feel like I'm back in control with that and they're not wasting that, that precious time. And it gives us more time for instruction and for those, those fun games that we play up throughout the day. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I love rule number one. Um, so, so let's talk a little bit about rule number two. What is it? Okay. Well, rule number two is raise your hand for permission to speak. And what that looks like is we raise our hand nice and tall. We lock that elbow when we say raise your hand, and then we drop it down and kind of use our hand as a puppet that is speaking Mm -hmm. for permission to speak. And this is an amazing way to tame blurters. Those students who blurt out anything at any time. So if you're like me, there are times where you have prepared what you think is your time about the best lesson that you could possibly have. And then you have a student that blurts out, what time is lunch? Yeah. And then you kind of go back with how many times do I have to tell you to raise your hand to speak, raise your hand, raise your hand. So you're matching your students' emotional blurting with your own. So often we use, we mirror their outbursts with our own and we try to put our kids' little flame out with a big fire. Mm. Why do children and teachers blurt? Well, coach talks about how many times with our kids blurt, which is them acting for their limbic system. Mm -hmm. We tend to respond from our limbic system. This never leads to a productive outcome as we well know. Mm -hmm. So the truth is our scolding or blurting back doesn't change student behavior. We have to help students practice this good behavior. And this is where rule two comes in. Yes, absolutely. So how, how have you seen that work in your classroom? Well, this is a, tr- is a big struggle for some students because they are used to saying what they want when they want, want it. And I, you know, I see it a lot this year and I don't know if it's due to the pandemic and you know, them being out of school and such, I don't know. So it takes a while for them to learn that rule, but it helps out so much, especially when we're teaching a lesson. Plus I think it ties in with manners and respect for the teacher and for other students. So, I mean, how many times have you been interrupted by a student when you're even carrying on a conversation with another adult? So Mm -hmm. I think it goes back to manners and I think they have to be taught that. I think that leads us to rule number three. What is rule three and how does it help in our classrooms? Yes. So rule number three is going to be raise your hand for permission to leave your seat. So in this, we're going to kind of do the same gesture that we would for rule number two and in that we're going to raise our hand and we're going to lock it. And then we're going to say, raise your hand. Then we stretch our hand out right in front of us for permission. And then we take our other hand and we walk it down our arm for permission to leave your seat. And then it's kind of fun at the end because you act as if you're falling off your chair. And so you, those two fingers kind of go out to the side and you go, ah, so it's, it's, it's kind of fun for kids to, to, to practice this rule because they get to kind of be a little bit silly. Um, I don't, yeah. I don't know if this has ever happened to you though, when we talk about rule number three, but there have been years when I, when it just felt like I had little six and seven year olds following me all around the room all day, sometimes poking at you because they're trying to get your attention, but they're just like these little, you know, these little kiddos that are just following you all day. Or I would have kiddos in the middle of a great lesson, as you just talked about, suddenly get out of their seat and get a tissue or a scrap of paper off the floor or whatever. 
um, I could feel, <laughs> literally feel my blood boiling. I would just, you know, blood pressure rising and everything because you want them in their seat. Like you said in, the, in rule number two, you've got this great lesson planned. And then all of a sudden you've got all these little, you know, bodies popping up all over the place and going to do other things other than paying attention to your amazing lesson. Sure. So, yeah. So um, while one of the reasons I love whole brain teaching is because our students are engaged with movement out of their seats, there are times that being at their desks working is essential. We just finished um, a state test for our K through two, and, and they have to be in their seat for that. They can't be getting mm-hmm. up and down. Um, so I, there are times that they have to be in their seat. Um, it is these times that rule number three really comes into play. For me, it has helped really limit little ones following me around the room or them drifting toward a friend's area, which rascally behavior typically happens when, when they start walking over to their friend's desk. It allows me to focus on working those areas of the classroom where my proximity is needed. So I find rule number three to be of great value and it really does allow me instead of having, you know, at one point, you know, 26 little bodies at at any point during the day, following me around the room, I'm the one who's kind of in control of getting where Mm -hmm. I need to be. Um, So what about you share with us how rule number three has helped in your classroom? I think the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, just even at your desk, Mm -hmm. you know, you look up and, or, you know, you've got three at your desk or you're working with one kid and then five other kids think, oh, well, that person's at their, at their desk. So I'm going to go up there. So Mm -hmm. that kind of helps with that part of it. But I remember teaching a lesson. um, This was before Holbrook teaching and we were up on the rug. So obviously it was before COVID and all that, but one student went to get a tissue then I had another and another and another. It became a tissue parade. I had four or five back there pretending, I think, like they were blowing their nose and getting hand sanitizer. And so it was like a fourth of my class had left the lesson <laughs> to go blow their nose. Um, so now I, you know, have them raise their hand if, um, if they need, even if they need to go get a tissue. And I just have them show two fingers. So I know two fingers stands for tissue. And so I can give them a quiet nod and they can go and get it without interrupting the lesson or anything like that. So um, I think that helps out a lot. Then if their hand's just up, I know it's a question relating hopefully to the lesson (laughs) or something like that. But um, I think I I was just definitely thankful when I jumped into Holbrook teaching. I thought, well, that's going to solve that problem because they're not going to be able to get up off the rug or get out of their chair when I'm teaching because they have to have permission. So, I mean, that solved a big problem I was having in my classroom. And I mean, there are times you can turn rule number three off if you need. That's right. Good point. Yeah. But, but I completely agree with you. I don't know what it is about tissues and band-aids that (laughs) little ones are so fascinated with, but um, you're absolutely right. It does. It really does kind of. Take uh, and I'm, I'm glad you mentioned to t- that you can turn off that rule. I know that Nancy has always talked about, you know, she put a post-it note mm. up on that rule when um, they didn't have to follow that one. And mm-hmm. I mean, I just tell my kiddos, you know, we're going to turn that rule off. So like if we're doing art, feel free to get up out of your seat to take care of your trash. 
they know that they um, it gets turned off so that they can go turn in their assignment. So they're not raising their hand to go put their assignment in the tray for you know to hand in. So I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think our listeners would like to know about that as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so let's jump into rule number four. Um, what is it? This is probably one of my favorite rules, but what is it? And why, why is it important that we have this okay. in the classroom? So rule number four is make smart choices. And what you're, the gesture for that is you're just taking your finger and you're kind of lightly tapping your head as you're saying, make smart choices. So if you think about the first three whole brain teaching classroom rules, um, each will help you solve a specific teacher teaching problem. Mm -hmm. Rule number one, following directions quickly will speed up classroom transitions Rule number two, raise your hand for permission to speak will help produce orderly discussions. And rule number three, raise your hand for permission to leave your seat will keep your classroom from turning into kitty bumper cars. <laughs> so rule four, making smart choices includes those character virtues we discussed on a previous podcast. They are our glorious kindness, our positive leadership, selfless courage, invincible grit, and brainy creativity. And this makes rule number four a much larger, grander principle. Mm -hmm. Making smart, virtuous choices is perhaps the fundamental rule for all human behavior in or out of the classroom. So whole brain teaching educators have discovered that rule number four is wonderfully powerful. The rule covers every area of a student's life at school, at home, out with friends, on the internet, engaged in a sport or hobby, everything. So from childhood to adulthood, we need to make smart choices. Rule four is especially powerful in covering all varieties of disruptive student behavior in or out of class. Mm -hmm. So how do you help implement this with your classroom, Laura? Yeah, I love, like I said, I love rule rule four um, because it really does cover all of the bases. Mm -hmm. It's like a big umbrella. It really is. It really is a big umbrella. And I think it is a great way to even check in with your students before or after they've either made a positive or a negative choice. I mean, we can talk about it like when they're making a positive choice, check in with them. Was that a smart choice? Why was it a smart choice? Ask them those critical thinking questions. Get them Mm -hmm. thinking about um, even how it made them feel. So, you know, we're targeting the limbic system, like you mentioned earlier, um, in a positive way. So, but I also think it does help when they make some not so smart choices. We can, we can ask them the same kind of follow-up questions. Was that a smart choice? What can we do different next time? So you're including some problem solving. I just think it, like you said, it's just this big umbrella that really, can um, just just work in all facets of your classroom. What about what about you? How have you seen this play out? Well, like you said, I love this rule because it covers every area in a student's life. It really lets them think about if their decision was a smart choice and creates a good dialogue that you can have with that student who's struggling with it. But I mean, I feel like also, you know, to tie it in with curriculum, even when we have like characters in a story, You know, it will come up, well, they didn't make a smart choice, you know, or they weren't showing glorious kindness. And so, you know, it opens up that. And I just can't stress enough. I mean, everybody in this world needs to make smart choices and, you know, not everybody does. And, you know, I just, I hope it makes them stop and think, you know, even two years from when they don't have me as a teacher anymore, they'll think, oh, that probably wasn't a smart choice. I Mm -hmm. should have done something better. So um, hopefully we're... um, 
teaching these lifelong lessons that will carry over besides just the year that we have them. But yeah, you're absolutely definitely like the dialogue to talk with a student, you know, when there's been trouble or like you said, when there's something positive and tie this in with that conversation. Well, and I don't know about you, but sometimes in my classroom, you know, prior to, and sometimes even still, when you ask, you know, was that a smart choice or, you know, or let's say we weren't even asking. So let's say this was pre whole brain teaching. And I was just saying, you know, why did you do that? And they just shrugged their shoulders at yeah. <laughs> that standard so, answer. Exactly. I'm like, well, that's not a first grade answer. And, um, and it's not a second grade answer either. But, yeah. um, but I think when you bring those, that those questions that go along with making smart choices, I mean, was that a smart choice? It, they can tell you yes or no right away, whether that was right. a smart choice and then saying, you know, well, what, what would you do differently next time? What could you do differently next or time? What's a better choice that what you could have made in, exactly. the, in that situation? Yes, absolutely. All right. Well, we're going to keep this train going. So okay. let's discuss rule number five. What can All you tell right. us about this rule? Rule number five is make our dear team stronger. And the gesture for that is you take one fist, you say make our, and then you take your other fist and put it on top of it. So make our dear team when you put the other fist on there and then stronger. Now I've seen this done two ways. The stronger part, I've seen muscles being made, but I've also seen thumbs up. So I've seen both of those. So I think I do that. I do the thumbs up. I do too. I've seen, I think I've seen on a video where they did the stronger as in Mm -hmm. strong arms, but Either way, it's make our dear team stronger. And the goal with all of these rules is to cover every classroom problem. So the idea is to have a couple of principles that were as specific as possible and one or two others that covered every variety of disruptive behavior. So kind of like Rhonda was talking about, rules one through three target individual classroom problems. Rule four is marvelously general. So it's going to be that umbrella that that you mentioned, Rhonda, addressing every decision a child Mm -hmm. can make, positive or negative. Rule four can be applied to any issue not covered by the first three rules. So this rule has changed over the years too. Rule five has changed a little bit over the years. So why do we need rule five, make our dear team stronger? So rule five is going to address your most challenging students. The ones who will argue with you about (laughs) rules one through four. Right. You ever had kiddos that (laughs) argue? Oh, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, pupils uh, who, who dawdle along will still claim, you know, I'm following directions quickly or chatty kids will claim that they weren't speaking to anyone, you know, Mm -hmm. and you're like, I just saw you. Um, Your most challenging students can even deny they are out of their seat. (laughs) And I honestly had that happen. So when they're standing in the middle of the classroom, they're like, I'm not out of my seat. Um, so it's, 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 we can laugh at it now <laughs> when you're right. in the middle of it. Oh, it's, it's not so funny. So, um, you know, or they may make an excuse, like I'm just going to sharpen my pencil. Um, but I don't know. 
I, I see the smile on your face since we do this via Zoom. I mm-hmm. we, we chuckle because we can both definitely relate to this in our teaching career. So rule five is the one rule that can't be disputed. It's really hard to find a child who can convince their teacher that their disruptive behavior made their dear team stronger. Kids, especially our beloved rascals, understand teams, organizations. They know how to follow rules um, for communities. Um, They participate in online games, playground activities, or sports. So they they understand making a team stronger. So rule five is kind of like your argument stopper. Um, Mm -hmm. Follow directions quickly. Raise your hand for permission to speak or leave your seat. Making smart choices. All these principles are team strengthening with beloved rascals. Yeah, rule five is the rule of rules for them. So, you know, I'll be honest with you. I don't think I took, I I took a look at rule five as being the powerhouse rule that it is. Typically when a beloved rascal is breaking rules one through four, I tend to talk to them about that rather than talk to them about how they can be part of making our dear team stronger, you know, how they, how they are an integrate part of this team and the choices that they make um, can actually strengthen our team. So giving them kind of that power. So this was really eye-opening for me. Um, So what about you, Rhonda? I agree with you. I mean, I think it it was kind of eye-opening for me. And with the changes that this rule has made, I feel like now it's, it's involving the classroom as a team more And I feel like here lately, and maybe it's because it's getting close to the end of the year, um, you know, we have kids kind of making the same mistakes, um, not following the same rules, you know. And so I'll have a discussion, you know, is this talking out or doing this behavior? Is this really making our team stronger? And kind of tie it in with sports a little bit, too, because, Mm -hmm. you know, if your team is going to be weak, excuse me, Mm -hmm. then, you know, maybe they won't win the game. And so, you know, we have these conversations and I would say with this rule, it allows with this rule change, um, it has allowed, you know, to kind of think about it as a group, as a team, you know, we're working together. Yeah. We work together for the scoreboard too. And I don't know, it just, I've been doing that as a rule call out, which we will talk on a later podcast a lot, rather than just saying rule two, sometimes now I'll say, rule number five, just so that they can kind of think about, oh, you know, is me talking to my friend helping our team be stronger. And so, you know, it, like you said, it's been eye-opening in that case, and that has kind of helped, and it's created discussions here, especially at the end of the year where, you know, you expect their behaviors to be a certain place, and they're getting kind of squirrely on you, mm-hmm. that we can have these conversations and work on building our team. And definitely when we don't have a scoreboard run where we can get that dice roll, you know, that's a definitely, you know, conversations about what can we do to make our dear team stronger in order to get the scoreboard win. So, yeah, definitely, um, definitely an eye-opening um, different view of it this year or when this new rule came out. Yeah, well, I like that's that's my takeaway now from this is what you said mm-hmm. about, you know, and we haven't touched on it and we will touch on it, the rule call out, but saying rule five, because, you know, as we're talking about here, it really does um, talk more about being that cohesive unit. 
And right, it, it takes it away from self. Yeah. And, and they're kind of tend to be a little self-centered all about me um, at this time. But yeah, it definitely puts the focus on helping our classroom. Right. Seeing, seeing how you can help other people. That's, that's a great takeaway for me. So we have finally come to the diamond rule. So what is the diamond rule and how has it transformed your classroom? Well, the diamond rule is keep your eyes on the target. And the best way that I can explain is that you're putting your, your two pointer fingers together and your two thumbs together. It kind of looks like a diamond shape mm-hmm. and you have that and say diamond rule and then keep your eyes. You kind of point to your eyes on the target and you point to your hand as your target. Mm-hmm. We definitely target, talk about different things that are, ta- that are our target at different times. So this diamond rule is a recent addition to whole brain teaching. And the story goes that Chris Rexstad, co-founder of whole brain teaching told coach B, he had a remarkable collection of challenging kids and apparently coach didn't believe him and went to see for himself. So I guess even when coach was teaching, and if you've been to a whole brain teaching conference, you know the power of coaches presentations mm-hmm. and commands. He kept thinking half these kids aren't even looking at me. Then coach thought how often, especially in the afternoon at conferences, a large handful of teachers found other objects of attention, especially those all too mesmerizing cell phone games and apps. Yes. So as educators, we know that instruction begins and is maintained by visual focus. Our kids won't learn much if they aren't looking where they should be at the speaker, their books, the board, it might be the other teacher, a student in the class. So with the diamond rule, we explain the variety of targets in the room and how instructional targets shift from one activity to another. When anyone answers a question, the target is a speaker. When quiet reading is underway, the only target is your book and so forth. You know, if you're presenting something on the board, it's going to be what's up on the board. So um, I will have to say, um, for me, this rule, I feel like is very important, especially when I'm teaching, but I will say important when another student is answering a question or that student is becoming the teacher mm-hmm. and I'm slowly getting more and more kids, even if the kids behind them, because, you know, in this pandemic, <laughs> you know, we're spread out. Yes. You are, you know, six feet apart. So there's kids all over. So they're having to turn their bodies to look at that person. And I don't think they're used to doing that because their focus has always been forward. And so I really like that part of it because, they realize that, yeah, that's our teacher. That's where we need to be focused in on. That's our diamond, you know, diamond rule where we need to be focused. So how about you? Yeah, I was going to say something very similar. I think when the teacher's talking, for the most point, most part, you have most of your kids with their eyes on you and, and staying focused and engaged on you. But it was when I would have those, those students start to be leaders and teachers that um, some of my kiddos felt like, you know, well, I don't really have to mirror her gestures or, or mirror his words or whatever, um, because it was more of a peer kind of thing. So I think that the diamond rule has helped me explain that, you know, when anyone's, when anyone is, is speaking, they are the teacher and our eyes need to be on that target. And that goes also outside of the classroom. So we've had lots of discussions on this this year as well as previous years. But 
sometimes the kids do, you know, such a great job in your classroom, but then they go to eat lunch in the cafeteria and, you know, they are not, you know, keeping their eyes on the target, maybe, you know, whatever that might be that the teacher that might need to talk to them during during lunch or they go to the library. And I actually just saw this happen with my class um, this past week. You know, I went to go pick them up at the library and the librarian called class and maybe two of my kids said yes and stopped what they were doing, looked at the teacher and super glued their hands and the rest just carried on like no one said anything. So um, needless to say, we had a little practice for that, but I need, you know, they need to understand that that goes anywhere in the classroom. And like you were talking about with, um, I think rule number four, where, you know, we don't just want to see them making smart choices in the classroom. We want to see them making smart choices around the school and in their community. And you think about, you know, keep your eye on the target. You know, when mom and dad are talking to you, you really need to you really need to be mm-hmm. focused on what they're saying to you because it could be, mm-hmm. you know, a safety issue or whatever. So, exactly. um, you know, I think these, that's the beauty of it is they can be taken, um, hopefully transferred to the rest mm-hmm. of the school as well as out into the community. And like you had said earlier, um, we're trying to raise productive citizens or we're trying to educate mm-hmm. productive citizens. And this is part of being a productive citizen. So, right. Yeah. So this has been such a good conversation. Um, These rules definitely pack a lot of punch in your classroom. Um, A good rule of thumb is to practice these rules three to five times a day. Do you still like here we are at the end of the school year, Rhonda, do you still practice them three to five times a day? Absolutely. I do. And I know um, Nancy has talked about when we did our, our summer um, Zoom lessons and stuff like that, that you could kind of taper off as the year goes on. But I find at the end of the year, we tend to forget these rules that we've been practicing. Yes. So, you know, I don't take any rule, any rule review out of my lessons. And I will tell you, I plug them into my lesson plans. They are part of my lesson plans. So even when I'm not there, I just jot a student leader down to do the rule review. Um, so that they're even practicing those rules when there's a substitute. So definitely keep them. I keep them in. Now I'm not saying that you guys can't, you know, not do them as much. I just feel like for my age group and what we're doing, it works best if I can keep it consistent and the same all year long. Right. And I do the same thing. And I'm glad you brought that up about putting it in your lesson plans because I use smart board and you were the one that told me, because I just remember being so frustrated a few years ago, and you were the one that encouraged me to get those in my lesson plan. And now I just have them as part of my smart board slides. So, after, you know, after every transition, we're practicing our rules We're you know, right. calling a student leader. And like you said, even when there's a substitute. And I, I will say in a lot of times we do a rule review when we've gone out of the classroom and come back in. You know, if they've had a special or recess or restroom break, when we come in and I need to kind of refocus them to get ready to start, we do a rule review. Yes, that's a really good point. Um, So all of these rules that we've talked about can be found at our website, which is www.wholebrainteaching.com. You can find videos there and you can check out um, the Instagram pages for 
for um, some videos for these rural reviews as well. Mm -hmm. If you haven't followed any of the grade level Facebook pages, we really want to encourage you to do that um, as well for all the latest things that are happening with whole brain teaching. Now, I do want to say we talked about it at the beginning. Um, we've discussed what the rules are, the gestures for them, and how they've helped us in the classroom. So there is to, more to know in order to implement the rules. Yeah. So be on the lookout for a future podcast that we will be discussing how to implement these teaching rules in three easy steps. We are always available to answer any questions you may have. You can contact me at Rhonda Arlt, you know, all one word, at wholebrainteaching.com. And Laura, tell them how you, they can contact you. Yeah, and you can contact me at Laura Forehand, again, all one word, at wholebrainteaching.com. And we also have several executive board members, many of which that have been on our podcast, that would be more than happy to help answer your questions. And you can find their email information on that Whole Brain Teaching website. Exactly. So we are grateful to you for listening to us today. We are always here for you. That was our whole reason for starting this podcast mm -hmm. to help other teachers with our whole brain teaching journey. Yes, absolutely. That gives us so much joy. Um, mm -hmm. We would love for you to follow, like, and share this podcast and all of our podcasts with all the teachers that are in your life. We are so thankful that you've listened today. Yes. God bless.